What's up, family? It's your boy, Daniel James II. I'm your host right here on Black Voices on the Hill. Black Voices on the Hill is a podcast and radio show for the culture. We center Black lives, we amplify Black stories, and enhance the Black experience at Cornell, Greater Ithaca, and beyond. Black Voices on the Hill topics range from racism, police brutality, colorism, sexism, to Greek life leadership, and white elitism in the Ivy League. Black Voice on the Hill envisions a Cornell that's sensitive to the plight of its Black students, aware of the Black excellence in its college town, and unabashed about them changing the world. We see Black excellence at Cornell, we believe in Black empowerment, and we love the Black experience. Listen, Black Voices on the Hill is brought to you by WVBR News. To see what more new and upcoming episodes and for other Cornell at the news, be sure to follow us at WVBR FM News on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Visit us at our website, WVBR.com slash Black Voices. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. I'm telling you, you're going to love this episode. So make sure you leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Overcast, and tune in right here on WVBR 93.5 every Friday at 2 p.m. And the episode releases on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Listen, I got a very special guest in the studio today, okay? I've been wanting him on here for a long time, and he's been doing so, He, you know, he just moves so fast. But um, I'm telling you, he's been a great just brother since the first time I met him. Um, listen, he is a sophomore right now at Cornell University. Um, I have none other than my Catholic brother, my brother in Kappa Alpha Pi, pre-law fraternity. I have Mr. Mark Quan, Frederick. Say hello to the people, man. Man, hello everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad that we can finally, you know, do this, man. Absolutely, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, just to check in, because you know, I haven't probably seen you since last spring, uh, this past spring. So just tell me how have things been. Um, just you know, how's your school year been? How are finals going, etc. Just tell me. Yeah. So like, since the last time that I saw you, it was just a very, very rough summer for me in terms of like all the involvements I had to do. I had to do some stuff with the, the mayor. Obviously, we spoke on that, but I was also doing P3. So I had the Cornell Defender Program while managing a, um, a job. So just being able to have to like balance all of that, I feel like I never really got the break that I, I wanted. So it kind of affected me when I came back to school. And um, just me just being exhausted and worn out, really, it was a very rough semester for me thus far. But um, just being able to meet my family, during Thanksgiving break, I feel that that allowed me to rekindle that fire to, you know, see my why, um, just be reminded of my why and um, wanting to pursue the law because for a second, I didn't even want to go to school. I'm not even going to lie to you. Oh, no. Man, I think um, all of us that are sort of on that pre-law track, we've all gone through that rut where we're like, you know what, just bump this whole pre-law thing. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I, I yeah. definitely have gone through that. I went through that myself and I'm a senior. So I feel that you talked about um, your why or even um, finding free time, I guess, because, yes, you work public defender. We're going to talk about that mayor's office. But I know you do a lot of extracurricular stuff and y'all may not know this, but Marquand does stay very active. Um, I read you skate. I know you skate. You be boxing. Tell us. Give us some quick just tips on how to keep ourselves active. What, what's the importance of that? And just, you know, because we're coming up on Christmas time, people are going to be, you know, eating sweets and doing all types of stuff. How, do, how should we stay active and, you know, yeah. things like that? Yeah. And I kind of look at, you know, me being active as like another venue for me to just continue to be productive. So it's like, first of all, find something that you love that also happens to be something that could help you you know, stay on your feet, help you burn weight, to help you reach that ideal, you know, physique that you may want. I like boxing. I was never, initially, I was never really the type of person to be in the gym too much, 
but I like boxing because it allowed me to get some cardio in cardio. in. I knew I had to work out a little bit, but I also loved like organized fighting. And that was something that I kind of got introduced to in high school through family. And then skating is just, it's like, I love to groove, you know, people call me sweetness on the rink. You know, I try, I try to, you know, get my little, <laughs> my little skating in and I'm um, just knowing that it's something that can provide you with um, therapy. It's very therapeutic, but it can also help you burn fast. So like just finding something that you love that can do all three, all three of those things really. Wow. You can skate backwards. Yeah, I can skate backwards. Like that's pretty much the only thing I can do. Not to the, not to the standard, but yeah, I can almost definitely can skate backwards. Okay. You, you use the speed skate. So you use like the, the regular skate. Nah. So I, I'm, I'm more of a, um, yeah, I use regular, like regular skates. I'm not like a, a blade type of person. I, you know, I don't really, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, groove, you know, like I'm in the seventies. Yeah. I prefer like grooving rather than just going really fast around it. I feel you. Something I always wanted to do. I can, I, I like to skate a lot. Um, I can skate backwards pretty good. But one thing I wanted to always do was like learn a dance routine on the skate. Yeah. Room. So, yeah. Hey, I don't I'm, even know. Yeah. I'm working on that too. Like, I, I'm my homeboy. Shout out to my boy, Dre. Um, he's really, he's really good. And I'm just trying to, it started off as me wanting to get like him. You know, like just the he would always turn next and just really steal the show when he's in a rink. Like you just see him, he's like a dove. And I really wanted to be like that. Yeah. You ever seen that movie? What's the movie called? Uh, is it Roll um, Bounce? Roll Bounce. Roll, Roll Bounce. Bounce. Yeah. 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 I watched it for the first time in the summer, actually. Like they were like, sweetness. And I was like, I want to be like sweet. Sweet. That's right. Yeah. yeah you did say that just now. Um, man, yeah. yeah, I used to watch that growing up, man. Maybe I should go back and watch that soon. But listen, yeah. that's very good. You talked about your why. Um, in terms of in the law, um, before we get to just who you are, period, Marquine. Um, actually, maybe let's cover that first. Who is Marquine Frederick? Uh, I know you're from Chester, Virginia, but just give us the rundown of who you are and just what you do on campus. Maybe just give us a quick background, school, college, stuff like that, too. Yeah, so um, Marquine Frederick, like you said, I'm a sophomore government major. I'm also thinking about double minoring in the inequality studies as well as crime, prisons, education, and justice on campus. Um, like you said, I'm involved in um, CAPI as well as Black Ivy. I do some work with my chapter, the Almighty Alpha chapter about five fraternity incorporated. And um, that's pretty much um, in addition to the Cornell Criminal Justice Coalition. But that's a very good question. Like when people ask me, like, who am I? The first thing that I could think of is um, I'm the son of Mercedes and Brian Francis. Um, I feel that that's the best way for me to answer that question because if you allow, if you know them, like, you know, where I came from, you know, I was originally born in Houston, Texas. Um, we moved to rain, Louisiana to get closer to, to home. And, you know, it was just all of us in a two bedroom government subsidized apartment. Um, really just trying to make ends meet parents, just really trying to keep me off of the, you know, the streets and just trying to make the most of, you know, the opportunities that we're given, you know, my stepfather joined the army. I was able to live in Kansas, Hawaii, Germany, and now I currently live in Chester, Virginia. And I'm really just, you know, the son of an army, um, so a soldier. I'm the eldest of six children and just really a family man. Wow. That's a lot of siblings. Man, you lived everywhere. Where's your favorite place that you've lived thus far? Yeah, um, I would have to say that my favorite place would probably, like growing up, I would have had to say Hawaii. Cause the weather was immaculate and I loved the people when I was in middle school, but I would probably say Germany now, like just being able to really travel anywhere for like cheap, just, you know, how I can go from here to like Pennsylvania. That's like me going to like Portugal or like 
dang near Spain. You know, it's just like, it's just so easy to just get up and drive. And I love that. That's right. Yeah. I just went to Berlin two weeks. Two, three, oh, that's so three, great. That, uh, how'd you like it? Man, it was absolutely awesome. I think, you know, I took German for like five and a half years. So it was like a full circle experience. I always wanted to go, but, you know, just didn't, I guess, like have a way, I guess. But this time, you know, like you said, it's really cheap. I, I paid like uh, maybe 80 euros to go, which is like yeah, $85, which it would have been cheaper had I bought it, you know, farther in advance. But um, yeah, it's really, it was a great country, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, you said something really powerful. You said, you started off introducing yourself by introducing your parents. And, you know, a lot of times in our culture and amongst our generation, in trying to forge our own identity, we often think we've got to sever the tie with our parents. And there's there's a there's a, a unique balance of what it means to form your identity, but also acknowledge the fact your roots or where you came from. Or, you know, often when people think that they often think that you don't have autonomy or that even your pursuit is not um, the pursuit of your goals is like parent driven, but it's like, no, it's, it's not parent driven It's parent maybe inspired and mm-hmm. even could have come yeah. out of my very circumstances. Like you talked about, I remember, I, I would love it if you could tell, you know, just the people about your story. Cause from what I remember in our conversation about what led you even to pursue a criminal justice background, specifically being an attorney, what encounter yeah. in your life caused it? Yeah. Um, and like I said, uh, it was just the reason I introduced my parents first is it's like that was a very interesting thing that you said in terms of how people try to sever those ties. I feel that that would have been the case if I wouldn't have had the parents that I had. You know, historically, my my family, you know, we suffered from a lot of plight, a lot of, you know, discrimination and racism that have led to, you know, my family having to be socialized in the conditions that they were socialized in. But my parents kind of broke those generational curses, kind of defied the odds and really provided me and my siblings with, you know, great opportunities. You know, the greatest gift a wise man once said that you can give to a child is the ability to think for himself. You know, I come from, you know, like my family, just abject poverty, Um, you know, high school and middle school dropouts. And my, my, my mother and my father, you know, they really showed me like, that truly I'm the master of my faith and the captain of my soul. And um, they really took advantage of education at a young age. That's why I play so many sports because they enrolled me in everything, soccer, you know, taekwondo, um, judo, piano, guitar, um, baseball, basketball, everything so that they could, you know, provide me and my siblings with an opportunity that they never had. So I can never, I could never forget that, you know, the sacrifice that they made at such a young age um, knowing, and like you said, my why and why I wanted to pursue not only criminal law, but um, government in general is just, I don't appreciate the cards that my family and then, you know, many families and communities have been dealt at large due to, you know, institutional racism. And um, me just wanting to, you know, take care of family members that have been incarcerated, didn't receive adequate representation and were forced to accept you know, to set plea agreements because, you know, they couldn't afford to stay in jail. And now they have felony records and it's preventing them from, you know, receiving jobs and everything and really wanting to not only help them in that capacity, but to dismantle all systems of oppression. Phew. That's so good, man. Um, listen, there's this quote, I really wish I could bring it to my memory, but essentially what I was going to say was, man, you can either allow the circumstances you've been either born into or seen um, those abject circumstances like you talked about 
to it can either um, cause you to be traumatized and, and immobile or you can let it move you to make change. And I like the fact that you let it move you. Uh, you yeah. talked about the condition. Talk about what you've noticed um, maybe in in terms of in Ithaca, New York, as it relates to um, incarceration. You know, I've uh, done work in, in terms of not prisons necessarily, but in a juvenile facility there that was predominantly black and brown. Um, young boys, typically 16 and 19, um, you know, a lot of the offenses that they had were very much, you know, not severe, not, you know, anything that was, um, should have allowed them to, a lot of them to be in there since the time they've been 12, you know, but they have been, a lot of them have children, a lot of them, you know, are smart, intelligent, but they just have a lot, you know, they have a lot going on outside of it. And really, the system is hampering them from being able to take care of their responsibilities. Tell me what you've noticed in terms of just mm-hmm. your time at Ithaca, maybe about the criminal justice system and the ways in which it's jacked up. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like one thing I noticed, I feel that, you know, since being at Cornell, I've had and in Ithaca, I've had greater access to people who were affected by the system more than I did back home. It was more so family. Now it's like people from all different backgrounds. And I noticed that despite having different societal and like, neighborhood problems you know the system is is the same in a sense like it's, it's obviously discriminatory but those those methods of discrimination are you know nuanced and you know I've, I've i've come to learn that you know as much as i study each and every day i'm learning something new like over here in particular i feel that you know in thompson's county the the african-american population is only four percent so the same crimes that may affect the people back home isn't the same like it's not as violent over here but you know property crimes are still a problem mental health and like access to, you know, drugs, like drug addiction is a serious problem. I know, you know, you go to the comments, you see a lot of people suffering from like, you know, mood and behavioral disorders. Um, so I see similar police brutality incidents, but it's just really trying to, what I'm really focusing on is like tackling that homelessness and just um, the the mental and behavioral problems that I see in, in relation to homelessness and just drug addiction. Yeah. You know, before we get to policing, you know, I just want to note something. Now, y'all can hear him. When he talks, when Marquand talks, like, he always talks with such passion. And I promise you, this is not just for this, you know, podcast, but he does. I mean, he's first time I met him, you know, it's just you can tell like he's just in our conversation. I just I distinctly remember him saying, man, there are kids out here who are just hungry for knowledge. That's who Marquand Mar- Mar- just hungry for knowledge and hungry to grow and do, you know, the best that he can. When he goes to class, you know, we were in a, um, I've seen him do it before. Or, um, when he came, like comes to the info session for, mm-hmm. or this man got notes and he got questions to wow. ask, you know, where he, I think, I think we were in the law school program together too. Dude, come into you know the 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 class already have read the case details but case other cases precedent i mean he's just he got that passion you know i mean i guess you could talk i mean i, I hope this question isn't redundant but just like with that passion like that that coming prepared for everything a lot of people your age a lot of young people your age because you've been like this as a freshman before you even got to cornell where does that come from? Like, who who made you like this? I know you might say your parents, but just like, where does that really come from? Uh, I would say like, you know, my parents, obviously. Yeah. But like, you know, so long story short, man, I came from nothing. Mm-hmm. Came from nothing. You know, 
from a, the product of being a, you know, t- the son of a teenage mother, my mother had me, you know, extremely young to me being a Cornell student, to me having access to, you know, government officials, to me literally coming here and knowing that I may not have the same resources as the next man, but no one is going to outwork me. And that's just something I got from my parents. You know, my parents inherited, they didn't inherit property. They didn't inherit land. They inherited debt. You know, like they didn't, like they came from nothing. And now I'm going, you know, I'm living in Hawaii. I'm living in Germany. You know, I'm seeing the Coliseum. I'm seeing Louvre. I'm seeing like all sorts of things that only a kid can dream of. And it's like my, my mother and her words and then my father in action and just seeing like coming from nothing. And like, I could literally, in my head, I, I could do anything I want. And it's like, no one is going to outwork me. That's just, that's just how it is. It just like that. I love that so much. Like that, man. Just like that. Marquand, listen, y'all, Marquand is my guy. I'm telling you right now, he's just, he's awesome. So then talk a little bit about, you know, the the work that you've done with the mayor. Because uh, you talked about policing and a little bit about police brutality. Let's get into it, right? Because this past year and a half, maybe even over, almost two years, has been just you know, tragic in many instances, you know, from Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Rashard Brooks. I mean, we can just keep going, you know, Micaiah Bryant. We could go down and down the line. Of course, Ahmaud Arbery's killers have recently been, you know, charged, convicted of murder. We've seen a lot of things. Um, But, you know, none of it really for us is justice. Justice would be them being alive. Uh, I want to ask you, you know, but, and Mayor Myrick, it's interesting. So he's been on the you know platform. I don't know, you probably heard the episode, but in terms of him, I asked him a question about you know, know police reform. Should we defund the police? And not if if I could rephrase the question, I would ask him why shouldn't we defund the police? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. uh, but he gave an interesting answer that talked about reimagining public okay. safety. Yeah. And that's the whole move that y'all are doing now in terms of the work that you do for his office. Talk about what's changed in the past year in terms of policing in Ithaca, the work you've been doing. Yeah. So um, the reimagining public safety process that you mentioned, just to give people context, like following the um, the killings of George Floyd, um, former Governor Cuomo passed Executive Order 203, which basically required in order for municipalities to receive funding for their police departments, they had to sort of abide by the executive order and to establish new models of policing. It's not necessarily defunding, but alternative models of policing where they're relying more so on community resources and um, unarmed response. So what the city of Ithaca is doing um, in partnership with the county is sort of a double response. We're still evaluating which response we're gonna take based on models from places like Oregon and places, places like California, where we're either gonna go with a community unarmed response an arm response or just a mixture of both um, to sort of see which is better for the county. And I'm kind of leaning more so towards either the community version, which is unarmed or just sort of a hybrid model. So um, we could sort of reduce that police footprint and to rely more so on like de-escalation and just receiving um, mental health assistance. And um, that's basically what where we're at right now. And um, in particular, I serve on the budgeting committee. So it's like we're just seeing how things are playing out so that we could sort of propose the necessary funds, um, the budget proposals for the eventual um, implementation of this policy. Yeah. 
understanding the budget is so important you know yeah. last summer um similar city i was able to be a um to work in a par partnership with the public good in buffalo and they have a lot of the same issues as upstate new york uh but man they would have two and three hour meetings just talking about the budget yeah. for the next year and this is yeah. why is it important to sit to do because a lot of times we want to you know voice our opinion um you know state an idea but but the money behind it is like that controls everything and that's like exactly. yeah so talk you know, about i love that question you know wise man once told me that those closest to the problems have the most solutions but are farthest from positions of power and resources i know a lot of activists out here that are dedicating the entirety of their lives to advocating not everyone is sean king but we know there are a lot of sean kings out there who are dedicating the entirety of their lives to doing the good work but they're making themselves go crazy because no one is, you know, helping them. So I knew right then and there, you know, where's the money going? That was the first question I had, you know, why all of a sudden is the Ithaca, the city of New York adopting this when they could have been done this, you know, why all of a sudden are we true in by 2030, the city hopes to decarbonize itself fully when we could have been doing this when scientists have, you know, hinted that we're undergoing an existential crisis of global warming, you know, and it's like, money money controls everything so why not see where the money is being moved you know the police the police department in the city of ithaca receives a lot of funding more funding than you know social programs oftentimes so it's like i'm really trying to have a say so and that's why i said if i'm i wouldn't necessarily serve on common council but you'd have you kind of have to if you'd like to serve with the city administration but just seeing where the money moves i can have a say so in like allocating funds to various things like you're the most powerful person. It's just a fact. It's just a part of the facts. Um, listen, so talk now about, because you talked about the city common council work um, that you've done. Talk a little bit about like campus, maybe specifically um, the criminal justice coalition, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and really, you work with Professor Joseph Margulies pretty closely, don't you? Yeah, yeah, um, now, now, from what I hear, word on the street is this coalition is going to ultimately turn into like some type of more than just a CPEG minor, which is crime, business, education, justice. Um, but it's going to turn into some type of major or department, at least, for mm -hmm. criminal justice. Talk about that. Yeah. So, like, I'm not too, like, in tune, but it's like, as well as um, Joseph Margulies, as well as Professor um, Mishner. And uh, this is the thing that they're doing. It's like, I feel that we have enough resources um, to, like you said, basically make that into a, a major rather than just because like, that's what kind of brought me to Cornell. Like literally that minor um, is sort of what differentiated Cornell from other areas. So I'm not too in tune, but like, yeah, basically essentially what you just said is like, I'm looking forward to that. If that, you know, actually happens. Absolutely. Um, I know that they do a lot of great work on campus. Cor uh, you know, Cornell um, does a, a, a laudable job in terms of connecting with uh, prison populations throughout the state of New York. I mean, they should. There's a whole lot of prisons in New York, but yeah. they do a lot of great work. Talk a little bit about uh, now this uh, this work that you that you did over the summer in terms of the lobbying work. Um, you worked on some post-conviction reform. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's the stuff where like, um, the reentry project that's under Margulies as well. Okay. And that's through the coalition. That's one of the um the opportunities, the projects that they have where we're basically researching the reentry landscape for people who are released into society, sort of how 
they um, sort of cope with having a felony record and like the, the process of recidivism and the, the frequency of recidivism. So essentially what we did is like we were researching this for the past couple of years. And then we used those findings to draft policy proposals where a couple of years ago, the county sort of agreed to allow houses to be built. So the Sunflower House is not too far away from here. It's in the commons for the purpose of subsidizing apartments so that people can not only have homes, but you know transportation venues so that they can go to their hearings, so that they can go to their mental health resources, um, computer and technology training, and just drug treatment, all, all sorts of you know, social programs coupled with housing. You know, when we did this research and we saw one common theme, housing was like the greatest problem and like one of the greatest contributors of um, recidivism, because, you know, if a person, you know, coupled with housing, if they don't have transportation to get to a court hearing or some type of court, like some type of appointment, that's a technical violation. And similar to my family members, if you violate those terms, those parole terms, you can go right back to jail. So um, that's really what we're doing. We just asked the county for, you know, can they pay, can they provide the funding for the first three years as, as we pilot this program and they agreed for the first year, we just have to keep, you know, lobbying and advocating. Yeah. A lot of what you're talking about in terms of those issues, and first of all, that is an amazing solution, um, subsidizing housing for people who have been released, um, ex ex-incarcerated folks. I think that that's absolutely awesome. One of the things that comes to my mind and since this is Black Voice on the Hill, is Black culture. So I guess one connection I can make is uh, for people out there is, uh, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie First Sunday, but um, it's this movie with Ice Cube as like the yeah. main character, right? And his name's Darrell in the movie. And, you know, his friend, he and his friend get, you know, busted, I guess, for like it was stealing some some TVs out of his place, right? Um, because he's he's trying to fund, I don't remember what it was, he was trying to, he didn't even do it, but he was blamed for it. And so he he got wrapped up in it. So after this, he ends up getting a record and man, he's going to every job and they're like, yeah, qualified maybe. But as soon as they see he, he had to check that box that says I was, you know, incarcerated for a felony or misdemeanor or whatever and has to check it. He's not able to get a job anymore. And it prevents him in the movie from like providing for his son um, you know, paying, providing a place to stay. I mean, so many things. It's a cultural example, but it goes to show that civic death is real um, in terms of just after you're being released, no job, have, not having a job, not having access to a job means you can't eat, means you can't buy a home, means you can't provide or even adequately re-enter society. And it's, um, I think it's really important the type of legislation you're working on. So I can no, that, I fully agree, man. That's... Yeah. It's just crazy how this how the system truly operates. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, um, I want to talk a little bit about you know just where do you see this going in terms of after you after you like graduate, man? Because you could go yeah. so many different ways. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's 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 valid. Um, you know, I came here with the intentions of just being a criminal lawyer, um, and that's why I got so heavily involved in legal work. But then I realized, you know, through the internship that I had, that the problems were so entrenched in the system that it's just more than what happens in a courtroom. That I, you know, wanted to take more so a political or maybe a legislative approach 
to like criminal justice work. And I'm also interested in other venues. Like, you know, I remember you asked me one time about I'd be interested in running. And I was like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. But that's actually been something I'm considering um, just because like I'm interested in housing. I'm interested in real estate. I'm interested in like just so many different things and just CRP, city and regional planning. And um, but I think law school may be the first step. Law school is most likely the first step. Um, do some public defense work or maybe, you know, intern for someone, work for someone. I'm not sure what I want to do in particular, but I know I can see practicing law then eventually running for something. Absolutely. Listen, housing, regional city planning, uh, real estate, man, that's all in, uh, that's all involved in, um, in a policymaker's job, um, local, state, regional, all a part of economic development. I already, I already knew. I already knew that's what you. You gonna realize. You go realize. Um, because a lot of times, in terms of being an attorney, whether you're a prosecutor or not, um, there is only so much systemic work that you can do as an individual actor. Sometimes in that system, that's why Brian Stevenson has, you know, his, you know, project that he. What's the name of it? Um, Godly. Um, that not the Equal Justice Initiative. Equal Justice Initiative. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. AJI. Um, because that is able to do a lot more, you know, grassroots work. But even even then, sometimes not being in the political space or not being, you know, heavy in that is able to do as much work. So I knew. I knew that's where you were headed, man. <laughs> Trying to get like you, man. No, no, no. Not at all. Listen, so we're coming up on Christmas time or, or holiday season, excuse me. So um, both of them, you know. I celebrate Christmas, but I don't know what you celebrate during the holiday season. So tell us one tradition or one favorite thing that your family does during the holiday season. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Shout out to my mom again. You know, I got to always give, you know, thanks to her. Um, she really made every Christmas special. Um, one thing that we do um, Christmas Eve, we always, we used to go to church on Christmas Eve, you know, going, we used to go to church in the morning, but we started going to church on Christmas Eve so we just open presents. So that's the first thing that we do. We come back. Everyone, you know, gets the house ready. And what we really do, we, we make Christmas cookies. Um, cookies for Santa, I love doing that. Hot chocolate. And then we watch a movie, a good old movie. Um, it's always the best. And then, you know, we go to sleep. Everyone's, you know, just excited to wake up and open presents. But I would have to say just making cookies, listening to music, and really just watching a movie at the end of the night. Absolutely. I want to ask this question. Um, I just thought about it, too. How is it? you know, I guess like going back home now, like in terms of just, you know, you're in Ithaca, Cornell doing all this great work, then you go home, like, I know your family just must be so proud of you and your mm-hmm. community too. What has been like the feedback of just, you know, you being at Cornell, what is that, what's the implication for your younger younger sibling? Because oh, yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah, um, they're they're proud of me. They're most definitely proud of me. Like it's, it's it, it hit a point where like, you know, just growing up the way that I uh, sort of carried myself, it's like my mother expects it from me. So like they're proud, but it's like they know it's like the they that's the you know, that's the that's the standard. Like that's just how you have to live and seeing how, my you know, more my parents did. It's really like, you know, I'm proud of myself, but it's like this is what you know, this is what has to be done at the, at the end of the day. So it's not like, oh, my gosh, Marquan, you know, it's more so like good job, son. Continue to handle business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Business. That's exactly yeah. how Marquand described it. And when we had first coffee, Jay, he was like, listen, I'm here to handle business. I was like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Listen, Marquand, um, 
we're coming to the close of the episode. Is there like anything that you'd like to, you'd like to drop any last gems on us or any last words, things like that? Hmm. Um, yeah. So like something that's been getting me through the day, cause I know this has just been a rough semester for each and every one of us. But um, I think of um, the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said, this is pertaining to men, but it can also be applied to women. He said, the ultimate measure of a man or woman is not where he stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of um, challenge and controversy. So that's just something, just, just understand that the things that we're all going through is only gonna make us better. And just to keep your head up and that finish the semester out strong. Absolutely. Of course you quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, um, that's your, your right. brother. Um, congratulations yeah. too on becoming a brother of the, as you say, what the almighty alpha the chapter. Almighty of the, alpha chapter okay. of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Incorporated. Congratulations. Yeah. We're so proud of you. And um, listen, y'all, it's been Marquan Frederick. Listen, tell us where we can um, stay connected with you on social media, LinkedIn, things like that. Yeah. Um, you can stay connected with me as scholarly MQ, that's S-C-H-O-L-A-R-L-Y-M-Q, scholarly MQ. And then LinkedIn, I think it's M-F-R-E-4265, MFRA-4265. And uh, just thank you again for having me, man. Absolutely, buddy. Listen, y'all, to see what more new and upcoming episodes of Black Voice on the Hill and for other Cornell and Ithaca news, be sure to follow us at Black Voices on the Hill on Instagram. Follow WVBRFM News on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Visit us at our website at WVBR.com slash Black Voices. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Overcast, and tune in right here on WVBR 93.5 every Friday at 2 at 2 p.m. and the episode released on podcast platforms on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Listen, one last thing I thought about Marquand. Tell us one thing you, this next year, this next, and as we go into this new year, because basically we're going into new year. Uh, I want to ask you, what's one thing that you want to say you have done at the end of 2022, and what's another thing that that maybe that you want to do better. Does that make sense? I guess maybe. Yeah. Good question. So one thing that I really want to say that I've done before the end of 2022, I want to say that I've taken the LSAT and I scored at least a 172. I'm taking the LSAT this summer, actually. Just get it out the way. Um, and then something that I can do better. Hmm. That's a good question. I feel... I know you're going to struggle. I know you're going to struggle. Nah, man, I have a lot to work on. <laughs> um, hmm, I would probably say to expand outside of my circle um, in terms like I'm, I'm very social when it comes to professional connections, but I want to make, you know, more genuine friendships with people I may have not like I may have made um, at first. So just outside of the community and really just, you know, continuing to strengthen those relationships and to just, can just continue to challenge um, the things that I particularly don't like about myself and to just become a better person for myself. Man, I so admire that. Listen, that's such a Marquand response. He's going to be critical of himself. No, listen, but he, he you're on the right path, man. Listen, y'all, it's Marquand Frederick again. We'll see y'all next week. A shout out to my executive research, Mike Sutton, Grace Fairchild. Peace out, everybody. Peace.